There's some number of bottles with some brown stuff in them, so I'm not sure. Probably not moonshine. I don't think they'd waste the moonshine on me. And for, I don't know what, four and a half, five hours uh, inside of that stadium, man, it was absolutely electric. Um, our fans showed out in, in, in a great way. It's, uh, I'm gonna be honest, man, that's why I wanted to be here. Um, because I believe in the power of the T. I believe in, in this university, believe in this athletic department. And I believe in, in uh, this fan base, man. And uh, tonight was a great showcase of that. We had a play called. We called timeout. We changed his play. <laughs> Did you see something you didn't like? Or? <laughs> you want to know the truth? I'm yeah. not going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to throw anybody under the I'm trying to establish uh, a culture. I'm trying to recruit great players and we can't skip steps. And I would have liked to, and I thought maybe we could have, and maybe I got the fan base too excited um, and, and thought maybe we could skip that step, but we can't. We can't skip a step. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a great show lined up. We got my buddy Michael Katz from the Mississippi Daily Journal. He's going to hop on the line break down what's been going on there at Oxford the last couple of weeks. A lot of moving parts there for Lane Kiffin and company after their 10-win regular season. Two new coordinators, going to talk about that. Transfer portal targets, transfer portal additions. A lot of news and notes there with the Ole Miss Rebels. But I also had a fun little idea here. Going to get to the, the latest news and notes around the SEC in just a second. But I caught a clip of uh, Steve Spurrier introductory press conference and that kind of spurred my idea for today's show going to be able to hit on all 14 sec teams like we love to do on this show so we'll get to that in just a minute but let's kick it down to uh, the latest news and notes across the sec real quick not a ton of action here on thursday but wanted to start off with uh, news that could potentially be huge for next season because both of uh, alabama's all americans that are eligible for the NFL draft, or two of the marquee ones, I should say, Jamison Williams, who unfortunately hurt his knee in the national championship game. We just saw that. Evan Neal, their outstanding left tackle. Both of those players have declared early for the 2022 NFL draft, and you got to think both are going to be first-round picks. Let's hope uh, Jamison Williams doesn't have his stock affected too much by the knee injury, but I think it was Adam Schefter that first reported that, that, uh, you know, teams are anticipating he's going to make a full recovery after uh, he has surgery here in the coming days. And, and players are coming back sooner and sooner after AC. Hell, we just look at George Pickens. I mean, he hurt his knee in the spring playing in the national championship game, playing in the SEC championship. So if all goes according to plan, Jamison Williams is going to be back on the field. Let's hope he's a high round first round pick. And you, you got to think Evan Neal, is going to be, some are touting him as the number one overall prospect. I believe the Jaguars right now have that number one overall pick. And, of course, they just uh, drafted Trevor Lawrence, so they're not going to get a quarterback. You got Who who better to help uh, a quarterback than an outstanding left tackle? So Evan Neal could be your number one overall player when the uh, upcoming NFL draft rolls around. Now let's throw a little gasoline on this rivalry here, budding rivalry between Arkansas and LSU because we've already hit on it. Joe Fouché, Arkansas captain, 
to LSU. Now we got uh, one more Gregory Brooks, nickelback, starting nickel for the Arkansas Razorbacks. He had uh, previously announced he's jumping in the portal. He made it official here on Thursday evening. He is also going to LSU. So, you know, you got to hate that if you're a Razorback, losing two of your starters in the secondary. Not, I mean, just the fact you're losing them sucks, but the fact that they're returning home, going to Louisiana to play for Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers, that hurts even more. But, hey, on the flip side, if you're a Tiger fan, you got to love this. I mean, use any and everything you can to to build up this roster with so many players, with so many defensive backs leaving the team. Eli Ricks, of course, to Alabama. Derek Stingley Jr. to the NFL. And uh, Dwight McLaughlin is in the transfer portal. I mean, this is going to be a completely new-look secondary for the LSU Tigers. And now you got Joe Fouché, Greg Brooks, both potentially day one starters for you as you uh, try to turn this thing around under Brian Kelly. And, hey, Arkansas already hated LSU. Now they're going to hate them that much more. But uh, thankfully for Razorback fans, they got an entire offseason of bragging about the boot. The golden boot resides in Fayetteville. And losing these two players, that's not going to take any luster off of that trophy. So, and who knows, some of these uh, players leaving – LSU, maybe Arkansas dips in and gets a little payback, a little spite recruiting here. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen something like that. But uh, Arkansas, now you need to find some veterans back there in the defensive secondary. Otherwise, uh, now, you know, they've got some promising players. Of course, Slusher is back after his breakout season. Jalen Catalan maybe the best defensive back in the SEC. So it's not like we're starting from ground zero here, but... Man, that's a tough blow for next year's defense, I would think. Good news for Billy Napier's Florida program here on Thursday because Louisiana running back Montrell Johnson, one of the stars of uh, that Louisiana team, he's just a true freshman last year, 838 rushing yards, over five yards per carry, and 12 touchdowns for Louisiana, announced he is transferring to Florida to continue his college career under Billy Napier. And Billy Napier's getting him several Louisiana guys to follow him. And, you know, that's good on two fronts with uh, so many of these Gator running backs off to the NFL after uh, Billy Napier got the job. But, you know, this just goes to show that uh, his former players, even though he left the program, no bad blood there. They really want to – they love their coach, following him to another school. You don't see that at every coaching change. So you're getting some added depth, getting a premier player here. That's going to add quality depth to your running back room if you're a Gator. And probably the biggest takeaway from this is just the fact that these players want to follow Billy Napier. That's got to give you some added confidence that uh, Florida's trending in the right direction under their first-year coach. All right, and last little nugget here. just thought this was fascinating here, but uh, Ole Miss is bringing back Chris Kiffin. Of course, the uh, brother of Lane Kiffin was with, uh, I believe, the Cleveland Browns last season. He's been with the San Francisco 49ers, and he was defensive line coach, I believe it was, under Hugh Freeze when all the uh, shenanigans was going on there. And Chris Kiffin, I think he got a show cause. I can't, I don't really remember the specifics, but he definitely was uh, booted from the program, had to go the NFL route, and he's been successful there. But now with uh, Ole Miss losing DJ Durkin, we're bringing in Chris Kiffin. Chris Partridge, the co-DC from last year, still there. So according to Bruce Feldman, 
Chris Kiffin's going to be a linebackers coach, co-defensive coordinator for his brother Lane. But it's just kind of funny how full circle that went. And, hey, Chris Kiffin, he, he knows the landscape. He knows the school. He knows how to recruit at an elite level. Helped uh, some of the best players in that program's history on the defensive line. Coached them up down there in Oxford. So, moving aside from the awkwardness of this, uh, you know, nice pickup here for Ole Miss. Getting an NFL coach, that's kind of what you want to do these days is hire someone that uh, can get these players to the NFL because your premier players, that's what they want more than anything else. And now that's something that uh, Ole Miss can sell on the recruiting trail. We got us a coach with plenty of NFL experience and that's something we'll talk with Michael Katz about Chris Kiffin coming to Ole Miss but before we get to that interview just wanted to uh, I want to play this little clip because this came from Steve Spurrier's introductory press conference when he got hired back in uh, 1989 I believe it was with the Florida Gators and yeah the season's over but I mean this just goes to show my obsession with SEC football I'm watching uh, old school SEC, I think it's called SEC Stories or Histories of the SEC on SEC Network. And that's where I saw this uh, Spurrier clip. I've seen this show before, but now that the season's over, I'm dying for some SEC football, going back and watching some history of it. But when he made these comments that we're going to highlight right here, just gave me this show topic idea. His message full of promise and optimism. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, what's most important in life is not where you are, but in what direction you're moving. And we are going to try our best to move in the right positive direction here for Florida football. All right, so I love this quote from Spurrier. And, we, of course, we all know he went on to become one of the greatest coaches, not only in the SEC, but uh, in college football history there in Gainesville. But, you know, just a great lesson that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you've been. It, all that matters is you're going in the right direction, where you're moving. And – you know, legitimately, I cannot remember a time in the SEC when we had so many positives. So I've come up with a positive for every SEC team. But, you know, I know some teams are not happy with where they're at. Some teams, you got a long way looking up the top of the SEC ladder. But, hey, like he says, man, it, this is where Florida basically was when Spurrier got there. It, it all that matters is where you're going next pushing in that positive direction. So trying to keep things positive here. And I'll just go uh, in order here, starting with the SEC West Alabama. You got the two best players in the country returning next season. They're going to kill it in the transfer portal like you did last year to shore up any deficiencies you have. And most of all, you got Nick Saban, and you got a pissed-off Nick Saban who just lost to Kirby Smart, his protege there in Georgia. I mean, my God. No one has luck going up against Nick Saban, and no one's got a chance in hell against a pissed-off Nick Saban. So <laughs> if I'm an Alabama fan, I I know I'm hurting, but this is exactly where I want to be heading into an offseason because, you know, the Tide are just going to come back uh, with some vengeance next season. Now, Arkansas, you got Sam Pittman. Probably the best fit of any head coach Probably the best cultural fit for any head coach in the entire country. Sam Pittman is Arkansas football. And since he's gotten there two years ago, I mean, I think you could argue he's done the best job in a two-year span of any coach in the country. Coming off your best season in a decade, Arkansas Razorbacks trending up. 
He's got Barry Odom. He's got Kendall Browse. He's got the best duo of coordinators in the entire SEC. I know you're losing guys. That's pissing you off. But, hey, we got a long, long way to go before the season gets here. You got K.J. Jefferson coming back. Uh, there's, At the end of the day, there's no reason to be down if you're an Arkansas Razorback at this point in time. Consider where you were just a couple of years ago. Now, the Auburn Tigers, a little bit different story, but you know, you're really seeing the buy-in from these players. A lot of super seniors, Auburn Tigers, are among, they're in the top four right now, according to uh, my numbers here of super seniors returning. A lot of buy-in from these players to Brian Harson and what he's trying to build on the Plains. That's a great sign for next season. You got your $90 million complex, 240,000 square foot, uh, football-only facility opening. So, hey, you know, let's not make it like you're a mile away from competing with a championship. You're the freaking Auburn Tigers. You have been there before. You won championships a lot sooner than a lot of the other teams in the SEC. You're only a couple players away. You got a coach that's clearly not afraid of Nick Saban. And I know things did not go your way the tail end of last season, but, hey, that kind of ha that's happened across the board. I mean, speaking of Nick Saban, look at his second year. They uh, went undefeated, lost to SEC, lost in the bowl game. Sometimes it takes a little bottoming out, if you will, to get that level of buy-in there. And clearly, by the middle part, the midway point of last season, Harson was proving what a good coach he is. Didn't quite have the full buy-in. I think that was kind of clear by the, by the season's end. But, hey, some players are gone while others are in. So I think he kept the guys that are bought in eager to return, eager to right the ship. And that's what you're seeing from all these players that are announcing their comeback. Uh, they want to get last season the bad taste out of their mouth. LSU, Brian Kelly, of course, coming aboard. And, I mean, LSU itself, I mean, it's just, it's where championship coaches are made. <laughs> and Brian Kelly does not have a championship. Your last three coaches all do. The program speaks for itself. You're going to have a loaded roster more often than not. May not be exactly where you want to be, but hell, look, you're just cherry-picking a couple guys from Arkansas roster. I mean, if that doesn't tell you where LSU is, is even after two down seasons, I don't know what will. And, uh, you know, as long as Brian Kelly doesn't screw it up, and given based on his track record, he won't. I mean, LSU, before long, is going to be competing for championships. He's bringing a level of professionalism, a level of uh, championship culture, that, uh, you know, your last couple of coaches didn't have. And, you know, I think it was said time and time again, and it's absolutely true, LSU has never hired a football coach with a better resume than Brian Kelly. Ole Miss, I mean, you got Lane Kiffin. And as long as he's there, he's going to make you relevant. He's going to make you laugh. He might make you cry. But at the end of the day, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be high-flying. And, you know, look at just where the program was without him. You come to find out the Rebels were pretty loaded with talent, but they just weren't getting much out of it until Lane Kiffin got there. Just imagine what he's going to be able to do with more and more of his players coming in there. You're coming off a 10-win, record-breaking regular season. I mean, what more do you need to be positive about there in Oxford? Now, Mississippi State, you got Mike Leach. Again, kind of the same deal. He's a mad genius. He's going to be breaking records as long as he's at Mississippi State makes the game fun. You got Will Rogers coming back. He's going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC, in the country, 
next season. He may shatter every Mississippi State record with uh, multiple seasons left to play. I mean, he's that productive of a passer. And if he continues to progress, he's going to keep you in every ball game next year. And, hell, you also got Zach Arnett, who I think is the most underrated defensive coordinator in the SEC. So as long as uh, you know he can plug and play some players, Mississippi State's going to be all right. Texas A&M, I mean, it kind of sells itself. Number one recruiting class there. Everyone's pointing to your program as the next that's going to break through after Georgia ended their title drought. The Aggies, people are circling you. You got a head coach, one of five that has a head coach. We got to say five now that has a national championship because Kirby just won his. But Jimbo is on that exclusive, exclusive list. He knows what it takes to win a championship. And hell, Look, you just pulled D.J. Durkin from Ole Miss after his best season as a defensive coordinator. Again, that kind of shows your might. Be able to just pick and choose whoever the hell you want. And I don't know if the future's ever been brighter than it is right now in College Station. Florida, after bringing in Billy Napier, you're making a commitment, the commitment needed to compete annually in the SEC. A coach that understands recruiting, he understands the infrastructure necessary to be an SEC championship program. He's seen it. He's lived it. He's been at Clemson during that build as well. So, and under Billy Napier, you're already seeing those results pay off on the recruiting trail. And hell, he's only been there about a month, month and a half. <laughs> Georgia, I mean, basically nothing needs to be said here. You just won the national championship. You own the SEC East until further notice. Dogs are on top. Moving on. <laughs> Kentucky, you just signed the best recruiting class in school history. Mark Stoops and his coaches getting offers left and right, yet they are committed to staying in Lexington, building this thing up. You got super seniors left and right returning. You got Chris Rodriguez returning. He's a little under 1,200 rushing yards away from breaking the school record. I mean, what's not to like two 10-win seasons in the last four. This is, uh, you know, as healthy as the Kentucky football program has been since Bear Bryant. And, hell, next season, Mark Stoops, he's going to break the record for most wins as Kentucky's head coach. I mean, this, this is your glory years right here, and the best is yet to come. Mizzou, also, you just signed the best recruiting class in school history. Seems like uh, Drinkwitz and his staff have really, really emphasized recruiting that state getting uh, the talent profile of that roster up to snuff in the SEC. You got you a a head coach that uh, has an offensive background, which is more critical than ever in today's college football game. He's making stars out of running backs left and right. He's got a talented quarterback room. He's just signed with five-star Luther Burden. And, hey, the defense can't get any worse. You know what? So... (laughs) Hey, things are looking up, and and last but not least, I don't know how much this matters to fans, but it sure as hell matters to someone who has a show like this. I love the fact that uh, Drinkwitz got some Spurrier to him a little bit. He's got a he's got a touch of Steve Spurrier to him, and uh, if I'm a Missouri fan, I love that. South Carolina, man, you're the hottest team in the transfer portal. Uh, the entire program and the fan base is behind Shane Beamer, pulling in the same direction, and that should not be overlooked. I mean, that is a rare quality that not every program could say is the case, truly. 
And that is how you rise up the ladder is you got everyone pulling in the same direction there. Recruiting is going well. You got so many super seniors buying it. I believe South Carolina right now, it's either South Carolina or Tennessee. They're neck and neck in super seniors returning. But I believe the Gamecocks have one more than the Vols at this moment. But that's just another indication that uh, these players that he inherited, that he didn't even recruit, they're buying in to what he's selling. And uh, the future is very, very bright in Columbia under Shane Beamer. Tennessee, hey, you got one of the sharpest minds, offensive minds in all of college, well, hell, all of football, any level, really. Josh Heupel lighting up the scoreboard. Just, I mean, if you look at those stats, when Tennessee hired him, all the quarterbacks that he's produced and the results of these programs everywhere he's been, some may have rolled their eyes at that, but it was proven to be the case. I mean, Tennessee went from unwatchable to can't miss on the offensive side of the football with uh, Josh Heupel, and it's only going to get better with damn near everybody on that offensive side of the ball returning. So Tennessee should be an outstanding team to watch next season. And, and like I just said, super seniors, man, they are returning in bunches on Rocky Top. And based on uh, the short history of the super seniors, teams that have the most returning, they have the biggest improvement on the field. So Tennessee should be right there next season. And last but not least, Vanderbilt. Hey, don't mock this, but the Commodores are finally investing in football like they should have been doing a long time ago. $300 million coming to improve the facilities there in Nashville. And I know it's too early to judge Clark Lee on, on how successful he's going to be there, but you know you can't undersell the fact that they got a head coach that is truly invested in this program. And is going to do everything he can to make it a winner. And that has certainly not been the case there in Vanderbilt more often than not. And hell, not really even in the SEC. I mean, Kirby Smart is one that stands out. Sam Pittman is another. Shane Beamer at South Carolina. I mean, we're seeing a trend here in the SEC in college football of making sure the fit is right. And Clark Lee is a fit there in Vanderbilt. Now he's got to get the results on the field, but this is going to be a slow rebuild. They also just signed a recruiting class. Many are calling the best in their program history, and they're letting him do it his way with uh, key personnel like Barton Simmons behind the scenes building up that roster. If I'm a Vanderbilt fan, I know it ain't pretty at this time, but the arrow is certainly pointing up, and it's uh, <laughs> night and day different than how it was under Derek Mason. All right, so that's my spiel on trying to be as positive as I can with all 14 SEC teams. But, hey, now let's kick it over to our interview with Michael Katz, the Mississippi Daily Journal. He's very gracious with his time here to talk some Ole Miss football. Well, we're pleased to once again be joined by Michael Katz, who covers the Ole Miss Rebels for the Mississippi Daily Journal. And you got to give him a follow at Michael L. Katz on the Twitter machine. Michael, thank you so much for joining me once again. I really appreciate it. Good to be here, man. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. And now that the season's over, I know both of our schedules have uh, cleared up a little bit. So uh, before you know, we get into uh, the dead time of the uh, football calendar, I really wanted to, to just kind of go back and, and recap you know, what a special season it was for Ole Miss. First 10-win regular season, of course. 
You know, when you're looking back on the season that you just covered with the Ole Miss Rebels, is there a one or two, maybe a game, maybe a moment or anything that, that really just stands out to you of, of what a special year this was? Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the, the first one was the crazy overtime game uh, against Arkansas, the 52-51 uh, game that came down to a failed two-point conversion. I think it was overtime. Uh, I know it was 52-51. Um, and that was kind of a, a real turning point for the team just in terms of, you know, the defense had, had kind of been hit or miss. And, and really from that point, defense became one of the strengths for the team, which, you know, if we're being honest, like nobody expected coming in to 2021, given how bad that defense was the year before. I mean, they gave up almost 40 points a game in 2020. I mean, they were really, really bad. And, you know, as uh, from that Arkansas game on, they really sort of got it together. And, and even when the offense wasn't clicking, that was the group that kind of got them through a lot of games. Even that loss at Auburn, defense kept them in it. And, uh, you know, it, it almost carried them to a Sugar Bowl. And, I mean, you know, you lose Matt Crow in the first quarter and you still almost, you know, you're still hanging around for the better part of four quarters. Uh, that, that defense really kind of took that turn um, against Arkansas. So I think that was one of the big moments. And then I, I think the other one would probably be that Egg Bowl uh, at Mississippi State. You know, there's been so much talk about how well – Mississippi State had been playing and you know they had one of the more confusing seasons with some really weird losses but some really good wins and you know Will Rogers uh, is is one of the better quarterbacks in the country in the SEC and you know Matt Corral versus him was was one that people were really excited about and um, you know it was it was a weird game you know State had a lot of chances I think it was in the second quarter when they dropped like three straight touchdown passes or what would have likely been touchdown passes and and Ole Miss, you know, seals up that that, uh, that New Year's Six uh, appearance. I, I think those are two that really stick out to me. And then, you know, for, for better or worse, you know, Matt going down um, in in the first quarter of the Sugar Bowl, that was kind of a, a defining moment where you knew that, you know, they probably weren't going to get to that 11th win for the first time in program history. But it, it really just was a testament to what Matt Corral has, has, has kind of meant to this program and just kind of the – the old school throwback that he is. They, they don't really make guys like Matt Corral anymore. And, and just covering covering him and this team was, was really was a really enjoyable experience. And I got to ask you now, how annoying are the cowbells in person now that you've experienced the Egg Bowl? Man, so I, I, uh, I, I didn't realize, I, I had heard that it was an open air press box. And I didn't really know what that meant mm-hmm. uh, until I got there. And then I got there and one, it, it was kind of cold. Like I'm from Los Angeles. I lived in Wyoming for a bit, but I've gotten a little bit soft in like the six months that I've been here. Uh, so one, it was a little bit cold. And then two, you heard everything. Um, and man, those Cowboys got loud uh, about the second quarter. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, if I, if I had to go, you know, an, another couple years without hearing them, I, I would not be too upset. They're, they're a lot, they're a lot, but it's fun. You know, it's, it's part of what makes football great. College football great is just is the environments that you're in. And that's one of the good ones. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you reference, uh, you know, how improved this Ole Miss defense was. Do you think they take a step back with, uh, of course, DJ Durkin off to to Texas A and M? How big of a loss will that be for Lane Kiffin and company? Yeah, you know the 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 the, the, the defense was not perfect this year, but it was almost two touchdowns better than it was uh, last year. And Durkin did a really nice job. Is you know by all accounts going to Texas A and M. I'm imagining that he's going to be very well compensated there because. 
uh, everybody Texas A&M seems to get pretty well compensated these days. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it, it from I, I, we were able to confirm today that uh, Chris Kiffin, Lane's brother, is joining the staff, and I think it was Bruce Feldman reported that he's going to be the co-defensive coordinator with Chris Partridge, who was co-defensive coordinator with with DJ Durkin this year. And, um, you know, I, I it, it's hard to expect – you know, that same kind of level of performance, especially given what they're losing, because, you know, not only are you losing Durkin, but you're losing Sam Williams, who, you know, had an all-American season. You're losing Chance Campbell, who, uh, you know, had 100-whatever tackles uh, and was just a real steady presence at middle linebacker. Uh, and, you know, losing Jake Springer, who was a really kind of a, a huge part of, of, of that defense on the back end. Uh, but I, I think they're, they're doing a nice job of kind of filling in the gaps. You know, they, they got a really nice linebacker from Central Michigan uh, yesterday in Troy Brown, who's a, a three-time All-Mac guy, and I think he's going to be a plug-and-play. Is, is it realistic to ask him to, you know, produce like uh, Chance Campbell or, or Mark Robinson, who was one of the other kind of standout linebackers did? No, but I think he's going to be just fine. And so, you know, is, is it going to be, a, you know, I think they ended up getting 24 points a game uh, this past year, which is, is really, really good in this era of college football. You know, is it realistic to expect that? Again, I don't know. But I, I do think, I think the days of them giving up like 40 points a game, I, I, I think they're past that because I think they've recruited well. Uh, they are still strong on the back end. They, they, they've got some nice uh, defensive backs. They bought in uh, the Iowa State kid, Ashim Young, who's mm-hmm. uh, he's a day one starter as well. And so I, 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 I think they are set. I, I think the pass rush is where you kind of worry a little bit because they got so many sacks. Uh, you know, a lot of that was Sam and a lot of that was Chance Campbell. I think he had like six sacks this year uh, just, you know, as, as a blitzer. So I think they're going to have to find a way to get that production. But I think overall the talent's there and then, and then I, I think overall they should be okay there. Now, what can you tell us about uh, their new offensive coordinator, Charlie Weiss Jr.? With, if I'm not mistaken, I think he worked with Kiffin at FAU. So there, there should be some continuity there. Yeah, he was uh, he was his coordinator there for a couple of years before he took the South Florida job. Uh, I will say for the record, I, I did not think that I was going to be talking about Charlie Weiss uh, in the year 2022, but here we are. I thought, I, as a USC grad, I thought I was done with Charlie Weiss in like 2010, <laughs> but uh, you know, here we are. Uh, but no, I, I I think it's you know lo- losing Levy is is tough because Jeff Levy did do a really nice job and he brought this sort of frenetic pace that really threw teams off and you know, he's off to Oklahoma where he graduated from. And, you know, that, that move makes sense. You, you can't really fault him for wanting to go back to, you know, where he's, uh, you know, familiar with. But uh, I, I think just in terms of, uh, of guys that Lane is familiar with, I think, you know, Charlie Weiss Jr. Makes sense. One, it's, it's a system he's comfortable with. And two, let's be honest, uh, the offense is going to look how Lane Kiffin wants it to look. And it's just a matter of, of who is going to run it. And I think Lane probably picked up some things from Jeff Levy that he's going to implement into what this next version of the offense looks like. So, you know, is, is, is it going to look exactly the same? Of course not. But I think a lot of that is going to be due to personnel more than, you know, really the, the coordinator. I, I think it's, I, I, I think it's, is it unrealistic to expect them to go as fast as they did? Yes, because they were, I mean, they were warp speed and I think they were top 10 in, in plays per game uh, this past year. But I, 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 I have a feeling it is going to look fairly similar. Uh, you know, Lane is the, is the type of coach that picks things up from places he's at. And, you know, he's, 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 he's picked up a lot over the last couple of years, especially from, from Lebby. And I think that, you know, this, 
this Charlie Weiss Jr. offense is probably going to look fairly similar to what we've seen from Lane in the past. Now, any surprise from you, Michael, that uh, Ole Miss, I don't want to say they've struggled to land a quarterback because maybe they're waiting on somebody, but uh, it kind of surprises me that uh, just given Lane Kiffin's reputation and his ability to coach up the quarterback position, and, and he just did it again with Matt Corral, there's such a huge hole there potentially. Uh, I know they they likely will add a transfer quarterback, but uh, you know any any insight into that or any surprise that uh, they've not done that yet? I think there is a little bit, uh, at least from kind of the outside perspective of, of, of surprise. Uh, you know, when you, when this whole thing started, you had you know Spencer Rattler in there, and you had Dylan Gabriel, and Dylan Gabriel was a guy who visited here. He was at a basketball game that we were covering, if I remember correctly. Um, and you know, when Levy was here, it made a lot of sense because they were together at Central Florida. Um, then Levy, you know, went to Oklahoma, and I think that kind of changed things on the Dylan Gabriel front. Um, and there have been just all of these big names. You know, the latest one, Caleb Williams, is in there, but uh, and and Jackson Dart, former you know USC quarterback. It, there, there are just so many names in there. Uh, but it it, it 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 is a little bit surprising that that they haven't picked one up yet. And I think you can kind of look at it as in a couple of ways. One is, you know, maybe they really do like what they have in Luke Altmeyer. You know, he, he was thrown into a pretty tough position in that Sugar Bowl, and yeah, he did some true freshman things, but, you know, he also did do some really, really nice things. He had a couple of, of, of kind of wow throws uh, in that game, and, and you know, he's, he was a four-star kid from Starkville. There's clearly a lot of talent there. Now, would you like to do a, a plug-and-play for a guy who's going to produce more like Corral? Of course, but those guys, are they do not come around very frequently. But, you know, I, I think there's optimism that maybe a guy like Jackson Dart, uh, he's rumored to be here uh, as, uh, over the next couple of days as, as a visitor. Um, so I think there is hope that maybe they get one of them. I, I think the good thing is that there's always going to be fairly big names in there because, you know, after spring ball, there's probably going to be more guys in there. And so I think they're just kind of waiting for the right guy. And, and it is a disappointing they haven't gotten that guy yet. I'm, 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 I imagine it is, but uh, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, they, they, they will get one of them. And, uh, I, you know, but I, I think it could say that they, they, they are confident in Luke Altmaier. Um, You know, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that, you know, whatever transfer they do get, you know, depending on who it is, is automatically going to get the job. Now, how big of an impact do you think uh, Zach Evans, the transfer running back, can make? Because, you know, we all know Ole Miss, they get this reputation as, as having outstanding quarterback play and, and all these explosive receivers, which they, they've had. But they have really, really run the ball well the last two seasons. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned if, if Zach Evans is, you know, one of the SEC's leading rushers next season, would you? No, I, I think that that was that was a huge pickup. You know, they they lose Jerry Neely and, and Snoop Connor, who had really nice years, and they were part of that kind of it was really a four headed monster because you know you had Henry Parrish Jr. and then you had Matt Corral who ran for you know 600 yards or whatever it was. He had four guys with 500 yards, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, losing three of those guys, um, you know, you know, and it looked like it was it was going to be Henry Parrish Jr. as the one man standing, but in getting Zach Evans, who was a guy who. TCU's kind of been in a weird place the last couple of years, but he produced there, and he was, you know, one of the he was a top twenty recruit coming out of uh, coming out of high school for pretty much every recruiting site. I think he's going to be a guy that steps in and produces immediately. Uh, I think, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to have that three headed monster uh, again or four headed monster because, uh, you know, I, I don't think Luke Almeyer runs as well as Matt Corral does, and you know, who knows who the transfer quarterback coming in is going to be, but. Um, I, I think that, that, that Evans and 
uh, and Henry Parrish are, are going to be a, a pretty devastating combo. And then, you know, they got a freshman uh, coming in, Kinshawn Judkins from, uh, from, from Alabama. You know, he chose Ole Miss over a few SEC schools. I think he's going to be a guy that maybe pushes for a little bit, a, a little bit of playing time. I don't know if it'll be the kind of even timeshare that, you know, the three guys got this year, but uh, I, I think he's he's going to get some carries. There, there, there is a lot of talent in that running back room with Zach Evans there. I think there was a little bit of worry that it was just going to be Henry Parrish uh, as kind of the lone production guy. Um, but then with, with Evans coming in, that, that instantly becomes, uh, you know, really an area of strength. All right, last thing for you, Michael. I really appreciate all your time. Is there a, maybe the biggest question that you have or something you'd like to see answered in the spring, uh, just looking ahead with this Ole Miss football team? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going back to – I hate to always harp on quarterbacks, but if you if you look at what Matt Corral meant to this team over the last couple of years, this team is not where it is if he's not there. And that's obviously putting a lot on him. But there's a reason he is going to be a first-round pick. He was – he I mean, he was great, and he was just sort of the heart and soul of this team. And I think that, you know, again, to, to expect – Altmeyer or a transfer to come in and be Matt Corral. That's, that's not realistic, but you do this, this offense does put a lot on a quarterback shoulders, just in terms of running with pace and uh, you know, making, you know, sound decisions and really, and obviously every quarterback is a, is a field general, but there, there's really a lot on the plate of, of, a, of an Ole Miss quarterback. And um, you know, it, it's just going to be interesting to see what that spring battle looks like. If if it, if Altmaier is the guy there and they haven't got a transfer yet, you know, do they feel good about him or or do they go look for somebody? And if they did get a transfer, you know, in the next, uh, you know, a few days or a few weeks, uh, you know, what does that competition look like? And does the loser of that, you know, transfer? Uh, and so I, there's, there are a lot of, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see that. You know, obviously there's uh, the wide receiver rooms losing a lot of guys, um, and, and that's, that is a big one too. Uh, but really, uh, you know, for a team that relies so much on the quarterback position, uh, I, I think it's, it's really going to be interesting to kind of monitor in the next couple of months, what that ultimately kind of looks like. All right. He's Michael Katz. He does an outstanding job covering the Ole Miss Rebels for the Mississippi Daily Journal. Give him a follow at Michael L. Katz, which can be found in the show notes. Michael, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Michael, for joining the show again. Give him a follow, at Michael L. Katz. You can find that in the show notes. He does an outstanding job covering the Ole Miss Rebels. And, man, you got to believe there's going to be more stories to to show up in the coming days and weeks. They're still looking to get a quarterback. So uh, give him a follow. Check out all he's doing there for the Mississippi Daily Journal. I know he'd appreciate that, but hey, that's all I got. Another busy week of show. We gave you five episodes, and it ain't even the season anymore. Find me another SEC podcast that's doing that. But uh, hey, that's just our way of saying thanks because, hey, we still got that passion going for the SEC. We got terrific guests lined up for next week. Going to be hitting a number of SEC teams. Going to try to keep this momentum going for as long as we possibly can. So I do appreciate each and every one of you. We'll catch you on the next one.